tonight, this is the Tuesday right before Thanksgiving, so it seems appropriate to speak a bit about gratitude. And so, I'd like to begin with a quote from the numerical discourses of the Buddha. Because these two kinds of persons are rare in the world. What two? One who takes the initiative in helping others and one who is grateful and thankful. These two kinds of persons are rare in the world. The Pali term that is translated as gratitude is katamnuta. And it, it's two parts. So katam is a noun that basically refers to what was done. The verb root is karoti, which means doing. So it's about what was done. And nuta is related to the term for knowledge, jnana. So when they're put together, it basically implies the knowledge or the remembering of what was done. So when we're grateful, in a way we remember what was done for us. We're aware of what has occurred. I also looked up gratitude in Wikipedia, actually, and it described gratitude, thankfulness, gratefulness, appreciation, as being considered a positive emotion or attitude in acknowledgement of a benefit that what one has received or will receive. This quality of gratitude, this quality of thankfulness, this quality of gratefulness, we can cultivate. There are many studies, research that's been done on people's emotions and the qualities of their mind and how to live a happier life. And a lot of studies have shown that there's a correlation between gratitude and an increased sense of well-being. A large body of research now suggests that people who are more grateful are happier and have a greater sense of well-being in life. Grateful people seem to be less depressed, less stressed, more resilient, more satisfied with their lives, and able to establish and enjoy more satisfying social relationships. Grateful people seem to have higher levels, a sense of control, a higher level of sense of control over their environment or their personal growth, a greater sense of purpose in life and self-acceptance. This isn't to say that grateful people can control everything in their lives, but there's a sense of not being powerless. There's a sense of being um, um, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an effective relationship with life. Grateful people are also described as having more positive ways of coping with the difficulties that they do experience in life. And when there are difficulties, are more likely to seek out the support from other people, are more likely to grow through the experience, and are more likely to focus their attention on finding effective solutions to the problems. Grateful people will have less negative coping strategies. They'll be less likely to avoid the problems, deny that there are problems, blame themselves or others for the problems, or cope through substance abuse. The studies also show that grateful people sleep better. It's nice, huh? 
And some of these studies have people do very simple things to cultivate gratitude, like keeping a gratitude journal, where each day the person is encouraged to simply write down three things at the end of the day that they were grateful for during that day. And that doing a simple thing like just writing down or reflecting on three things that one is grateful for showed very dramatic increases in these, you know, happiness scores in these various um, tests of, of personal well-being. And so this can show us, can in illustrate what I think we all already know, that the quality of our minds affect our experience of life. And we can do things to improve the quality of our minds. We can turn our attention towards what we're grateful for. We can let the mind rest at least for a few moments a day in a very wholesome state of gratitude, of appreciation. The Mangala Sutta says, Reverence and humility, contentment and gratitude, and timely hearing of the Dhamma are the highest blessings. In the Buddhist tradition, gratitude is recognized as a very beautiful quality of mind. It's a quality of mind that is said to lead to happiness and liberation. So we can think, we can reflect, what are we grateful for? If you were to write three things down before you went to bed tonight, what three things would come to your mind as things that you were grateful for? Just reflect for a moment. You might be grateful for people in your life, parents, friends, our families who support us in so many ways. You might be grateful for a relatively high standard of living that we enjoy, lovely weather, access to high quality food, and a remarkable degree of comforts that we enjoy just by being in this area. We might reflect on social, political, economic freedoms that support us in so many ways. We might reflect and be grateful for the degree of health that we enjoy, physical health, mental health. We might be grateful for our education, our capacity to learn for having good friends, for living in a relatively safe environment, for not being in the middle of a war-torn um, nation, and to be part of a somewhat trustworthy community. We came into this room with strangers and for the most part sat for the first half an hour with our eyes closed. That is not something that everybody can do in every place in this world. We can be grateful for access to the Dhamma teachings, to the opportunities to meditate, 
Today I was speaking with somebody on the telephone in Santa Rosa, and um, she was evacuated from her home along with so many thousands of other people. And she thought that there was no way that her house was going to be there when she got back. And it was. She's really happy (laughs) and really grateful. But the fire was stopped just a couple of houses away from hers. Most of her block was destroyed. It's so interesting. I mean, it's so odd in a way. It's how do you grapple with one house spared and another one, um, another one destroyed? But nevertheless, we can be grateful. <laughs> we can be grateful, and that gratitude sometimes increases. We sense the blessings that we have when we sense when we are also aware of our vulnerability. When I think of the things that I'm grateful for, among the things that I'm grateful for is the Dhamma and the various teachers and translators and a lineage of monastic and lay teachers that go back for thousands of years to have practiced and preserved these teachings from the time of the Buddha. They're very precious to me. They're a very important, cherished part of my life. And I know that they were kept alive because they were passed heart to heart, mind to mind, person to person, through sometimes very difficult, very, very difficult social, political, and economic conditions. And yet each person valued these teachings enough to dedicate their life to sometimes memorizing the teachings because for the first 200 years they weren't written down. So they were literally memorized and recited together. Imagine the amount of time and effort that people put into that. And then they were written down, and they weren't just like printed out, you know, from a computer or something. They were scribes, written, you know, carefully to try to do it as accurately as possible. And then those had to be protected and preserved through wars, through, um, through uh, various weather issues. <laughs> you know, in, 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 in times before there were like, like cases where there were like temperature-controlled cases in rooms and libraries. You know, these things that were really protected, really protected from, by people. And then in my own life, to have received teachings from so many teachers. There were so many other things they could have done with their life and with their time, but they chose instead to practice the Dhamma deeply enough and then to dedicate their time to sharing it. And when I think of this, I feel enormous gratitude. Gratitude for the choices that they made in their life to develop that experiential knowledge so that they would be in a position to share it. And also gratitude for the choices that they made to share it because it was it certainly is not the way to get rich (laughs) you know there's many more economically um, advantageous choices a person could make than to uh, teach the teach the dharma on a primarily donation basis 
And I had the blessings to receive teachings virtually entirely from teachers who were deeply committed to that principle of donation, that principle of dana. And it, it still brings much gratitude to my heart to think of this. When I also think of my teachers, I think of their confidence in me, and I'm grateful for that. That in the way that they shared the Dhamma to me, with me, the way that they shared the liberating teachings didn't hold back. It was an expression of confidence that liberation is possible, an expression that we can all grow, we can all develop, and we can all purify our minds of the greed, hate, and delusion, which is the antithesis of um, of of awakening. Awakening is about ending greed, hate, and delusion. And we can all do that. And we can notice that as we reduce the greed, hate, and delusion, as we, as we minimize our reactivity. And so we can sense the trajectory of this path of practice to be one that leads to a profound realization of peace. I feel grateful when I go to the places where I, um, um, where I meditate, where, I, where my own practice has developed, and I've been in touch with the Angela Center up in Santa Rosa, because um, that I have to be in touch with them because we had two retreats scheduled for next year there, and the, the place is sort of burnt down. <laughs> One building is left standing, but the property is... Um, is unusable, unsafe to be on because all the other buildings were just were are in rubble, and um, all the little landscaping and the trees are all um, burnt. And that's where I began my first retreat, and that's where I practiced my retreats for the first uh, quite a few years of my uh, of my own practice. So it felt something like my spiritual home. And that, that whole building where we, where we used to have all those retreats in the 1980s, um, it's gone. There's absolutely nothing left. They are planning to rebuild, though. I heard a little bit about their plans, and they will be rebuilding. But it's going to take a few years, a few years. I also feel gratitude for for um, students, students who come to these, these programs, these classes, these retreats, these day-longs, and in particular students who have enough confidence and faith in me to be willing to share their practice, to be able to share how they experience their own mind. It's an intimate thing to describe a meditation practice to somebody else. And I think that connection with a, with a to the student-teacher connection, I am often touched by and humbled by. I also feel a great deal of gratitude, of course, for my friends and for my family who have supported me in so many obvious ways. Mostly, I feel gratitude for the people in my life, whether they're people that I have personally met or people that have I've connected with through the various things that I've connected with. I'm often reminded of the fragility of life. You know, we are, we're all going to die and death can happen at any time. And so I feel grateful for one more day of having a functioning, well, relatively so, body <laughs> and functioning relatively so, mind. <laughs> 
you know, to have a relatively healthy body to be able to get out and come here and a relatively balanced mind to be able to sit in silence. That's something to be grateful for. Because we need a certain degree of mental and physical health and stamina to be able to practice the Dhamma. This attitude of gratitude is considered in the Buddhist tradition something to be cultivated. It's considered to be a wholesome quality that doesn't just arise, but is worthy of our attention, worthy of our effort, worthy of giving time to nurture it in our lives. In the Samyutta Nikaya, it says, you should train yourself thus. We will be grateful and thankful, and we will not overlook even the least favor done to us. Thus, you should train yourself. So it's a training, it's a practice of the mind. Not to just expect, not to take for granted, but to actually be grateful and thankful and not overlook the favors done for us. So we can be grateful of all the various opportunities we have. We can be grateful for the opportunity to work, to actually have a job. That's fabulous. And we can be grateful at other phases of our lives to be retired (laughs) and to not have to work. In both senses, there can be gratitude. We can be grateful for the opportunities we have to serve, to share, to help others, to grow, to be challenged. Whether you help your family or your friends, your meditation group, your social groups, your communities or the planet, whether you volunteer your service or your time to various, whichever various projects, they each can offer us a precious opportunity to share, to learn, to grow, to know that this opportunity that we have to serve is also something to be grateful for. We can be grateful for the opportunity to give as well as being grateful for what we receive. Gratitude for these opportunities encourages us to live well, to use our life well, to use our resources well, to use our time and our skills and our abilities well, to not neglect the opportunities that we have that are available to help each other. Sometimes events in life are very humbling. But even when we're humbled, even when we're facing a very difficult situation in life, we might sense that there's also a kind of beauty that surrounds it. Sometimes people don't notice the beauty if the perception is distorted by judgment or fault-finding or arrogance or expectation or demand. If the mind is burdened by desire and aversion, it's not going to see the beauty and it's not going to be resting in an experience of gratefulness. But it only takes a very subtle shift in perception to connect with the gifts and the blessings that are also present. Gratitude is just a thought away 
just a thought of remembering all the blessings that we have, the good that was done. So I want to read again um, that the, the verse from the Mangala Sutta, and please listen to the other words that surround gratitude. Reverence and humility, contentment and gratitude, and timely hearing of the Dhamma, these are the highest blessings. So in this set, we see gratitude is connected with, it's nurtured by, it's supported by humility, respect, contentment, and the hearing of the teachings. Gratitude is embedded in this development of the path, this development of mind. So you might reflect again for a moment or two. What has been done for you? What has been given to you that you're grateful for? And what are opportunities that you've had to give, to serve, that you feel grateful for, to connect with, to help? I think this experience of gratitude um, encompasses both the giving and the receiving. But maybe especially gratitude um, helps, helps us focus the mind on the things that are of benefit. So we might experience benefit through giving and we might receive benefit through, or we might experience benefit through receiving. But very often we are benefited by people and works and efforts of people that we don't know, that we've never met. For example, most of you can probably read. In a room like this, usually most people are literate. You have access to books. That in itself is a tremendous thing to be grateful for because a vast number of people in this world have no opportunity to learn to read. And their access to ideas, to publications, to literature is very restricted. So to be grateful for our education is, I think, a very wonderful thing that we all can experience, especially when we realize how incredibly expensive education is and the cost that taxpayers that we don't even know were just one of the many taxpayers that contribute to a society that values education enough to make this opportunity available to children. So this is just one example of a kind of 
of experience that we might take for granted and yet is something that if we reflect on it, we might realize that it's so precious, so very precious. It's an opportunity that we were given and so how do we use that precious opportunity that we were given? We've all been given birth. We were carried in our mother's wombs. Some people are alive now because they have been given a blood transfusion or a kidney or a heart transplant. Some people are supported by other people's trust, time, love, energy, care, listening, compassion. All these different experiences that are wholesome are reinv- we have, can be grateful for. And this gratitude will overcome the tendency to find blame and find fault in things about you know that negative attitude that sometimes can develop around rather trivial concerns, trivial matters. So when we cultivate a grateful mind, we're cultivating in a way a very spacious, a very vast, a grand experience of mind. By recognizing what we have received and acting on the impulse of gratitude, we can receive what is given to us with an open heart, with thanks, and then perhaps the movement to connect even more deeply, to open more completely, to serve more selflessly, to give in return may be even more clear to us. Not feel like an obligation, not feel like I, was ge- I received something so I have to pay it back, but instead participate in this experience of gratefulness that elevates our mind and deepens our spiritual practice. And so we might seek opportunities to serve, to volunteer, to help somebody out, to make donations. It's wonderful to have the opportunity to serve, to have the privilege of giving. Whether we give food or knowledge, time or smiles, whether we give our skills, our money, or our compassion, when we give with a grateful mind, grateful for the opportunity to give, grateful for the capacity to have something to give, then whatever we do, we will do it happily because of that wholesome state of gratitude. That's the cause, a cause for joy to arise. Sometimes we don't engage because it's just easier not to, to notice. It's just easier to stay within our comfortable personal routines, our patterns, our routines, our comforts. Often service asks us, though, to stretch beyond our comfortable areas, to try things we've never done before, to hold some responsibility and to help out, even when we don't particularly feel like it. But when we're grateful for the opportunity to serve, then joy and pleasure 
is experienced out of that service, that gra- gratefulness, and that calms and quiets any fault-finding or negativity or aversion in the mind. It's overcome by the gladness that is associated with gratitude. Whether we're engaged with the receiving end or the giving end, there's the possibility of allowing the mind to experience receiving and giving with profound joy. It's said that the act of giving, dana is the Pali term, produces happiness. And this is not about a transactional giving where we kind of measure how much we received and we give in equal proportion or we realize we want to get something, so we give in order to get. I'm talking more about a spiritual practice of sharing, of openness, a practice of giving that cultivates the gratitude for the opportunity to give, that is happy to, to let go, and that takes this relationship with other people as the opportunity to let go. So we're not just letting go of this thing alone and letting go of that quality or this bad habit alone, but we're actually letting go into relationship, which is very much about sharing. With these positive states of mind, we'll find that whatever we're doing then becomes part of this giving and receiving, and the work is not burdensome. Once we've gotten a taste for the kinds of things we're grateful for and the kinds of opportunities we have uh, uh, acted on to give, then when we sit more quietly in reflection, in meditation, when we turn our attention and thoughts to these acts of giving and gratitude, then, then the very thought of them is the trigger for joy and happiness to arise. We experience an infusion of energy and contentment and a sense of deep inner respect. We're content to be here. We're content with what we have. We're content with the present moment as it is. There's peace. There's non-craving. There's non-clinging in a grateful mind. We stop struggling to have things our way. We stop needing to assert our views and beliefs in every situation. And we more are able to receive the present moment with an open and balanced mind, enabling us to wisely and compassionately respond to whatever occurs. By practicing gratitude, we let go of deep patterns of holding and clinging to our self-interest. We weaken the roots of craving and clinging that cause suffering. For experiencing immediate happiness and creating the causes for lasting happiness, gratitude is an important attitude to develop, to train in, as the Buddha taught. These two kinds of persons are rare in the world. What two? 
one who takes the initiative in helping others, and one who is grateful and thankful. These two kinds of persons are rare in the world. Well, I'd like to take a few minutes to um, speak about gratitude a bit in small groups. And we have about 18 people here, so I think maybe three groups of six. It may be that not everybody speaks, but I'd like to take about 10 minutes, perhaps, to, to talk a little bit. This will give you a chance to first maybe get into three groups, and then please share your name. And, um, and then I'd like you to share the things that you're grateful for, but more important than the things you're grateful for is how do you experience this quality of gratitude.